the brand new DCC Church website is live. Thanks to Caleb. Um, so check that out, achurchinthecity.org. Uh, you can still go to downtownchristianchurch.org or .com. It all goes to the same place. It's very fancy. Check it out. It's cool. It's simple. It's clean. Um, there will be an app for your phone coming soon with some cool messaging features and all sorts of other nifty little things as well that goes along with it. But we wanted to get the website rolled out first, and we're kind of beta testing the app right now, and uh, that'll be available soon. So that's number two. Number three, this is an invitation to prayer. The leadership team feels like it's time to move. We've been here for a few years, and uh, we've started to talk, and a lot of people have been talking about this, not just the leadership team, a lot of people. Hey, when are we going to move? When are we going to have some more dedicated space? This space is great. Sunday morning, we have it for Sunday. We set up, we tear down. Nate, what time are you here this morning? 6 a.m., friends, 6 a.m., 6 a.m. So there takes a lot, of, a lot of time and effort and energy from... Yeah. So again, not trying to, you know, play a pity card here, but the reality is, is that, you know, at some point, this whole mobile church thing, it just gets a little bit old. So we're looking at some really interesting opportunities. We've got some opportunities where we may even be able to collaborate with other local churches, um, get some shared space, do some different kinds of things. So my point today is pray, pray. All right. Pray and ask the Lord for wisdom, guidance, direction. There's some very, very interesting things and some kind of newish and out-of-the-box things that we've been talking about. Of course, if you have any questions on anything, um, we're an open book. You can see anybody from the leadership team, uh, myself, Jamie, uh, you know, whoever else may be here, Dan, Barb, uh, Tim, Amy. Um, I'm not sure. It's a pretty light crowd today. Everybody's out lighting off fireworks, I guess. So be praying about that because that's a really, really big thing for us um, and it's something that we want to take really, really seriously. Again, this space is a blessing. It's beautiful. It's awesome. The people at the Going Center are wonderful. We love them. We love dealing with them. Um, it's just uh, feels like time. So that's a matter for prayer. So please engage whether you're here, whether you're at home on live stream, be praying about that. Amen. All right, today's title is Wasteland Living. And Nubin, thank you, wherever you are, for setting me up and the Holy Spirit. Uh, that was awesome. Because I have been, just like you indicated, sitting in a mud puddle, complaining. Somewhat like Jonah. You know, the book of Jonah is a really sad book. You ever read that book? It's a really sad book. Um, there's some really, really cool spaces in there, but it's sad to me at the end that Jonah just doesn't get it. And at the end, he just winds up sitting under this plant and complaining that God had mercy on the Assyrians. And if you watch the VeggieTales version of it, it's really, really great. <laughs> so I've been like that, and, and literally, I'm not kidding, like there's been times over the last few weeks that I, I literally, I don't know if you guys, maybe I had a really weird childhood. I know I did. Uh, I blame my parents, um, wonderful as they are. 
Does anybody remember the kid's song, you know, where you sing, nobody likes me, everybody hates me? Guess I'll go eat worms. Big, fat, squishy ones, little, itty, bitty ones. Guess I'll go eat worms, yeah. Okay, I found myself singing that song here in the last several weeks. And so I am preaching to myself today, okay? I am convinced that all you are way more spiritual than me, that you have all of this stuff well in hand and figured out, and that you probably don't need to hear this. So if you want, you can go get some coffee and even go out to breakfast if you want. If you don't need to hear this, but I, for one, have found myself living in a wasteland of my own making. My own making. So I'll just be preaching to myself, if that's okay. Listen, I am my own biggest problem. Me. Let's be honest. I'm probably not the only one. But if I am, that's okay. Think about it, though. If it's true, if, if, if it's true, if it's true that Jesus has secured ultimate victory on our behalf over sin, sickness, death, bondage, the enemy, and more, then what do I have to worry about? What can hold me down? What can hold me back? Just me. Just me. God said to Adam, Adam, where are you? And he says the same thing to me all the time. Kevin, where are you? Are you following the spirit? Are you following the flesh? Listen, Galatians 5, 16, the apostle Paul writes, he says, but I say walk by the spirit and you will not carry out the desire of the flesh. Now here over the next couple of weeks, I'm gonna talk today, Wasteland Living, next week, life in the garden. So there is hope. (laughs) There is hope. There's always hope and his name is Jesus. But when I say flesh, we need to qualify this a little bit because I think a lot of times we think of the deeds. And Paul goes on, he talks about the deeds of the flesh. You know, he talks about murder and adultery. But he also talks about backbiting and envy and disobedient to parents. How about that one? Where's my kids? Ah, no, I'm kidding. They're, They're wonderful. They're perfect. They would never disobey their parents. But we, we, we think of the deeds of the flesh as, you know, all this really, really, really terrible stuff, you know? And, and it can be. It can be. But it can also be stuff that's socially acceptable. You know, Jamie and I were talking about, um, we're talking about the Old Testament and we're going to read some Old Testament stories today. And we were talking about it yesterday. And she said, you know, it's amazing to me, you know, reading through First uh, and Second Kings and into Chronicles, you know, all of these kings. And, you know, one of them, you know, like, you know, they, they do good and then they do bad. And then there's one good one and seven bad ones and, and, and all this other stuff. 
She said, but you know the ones that I find interesting, they're all interesting, but, but one of the ones I find really interesting was where it says, and he served the Lord all the days of his life, but he failed to tear down the high places. And that struck me yesterday. I said, you know, it's interesting because here you see a king who served the Lord all the days of their life. But the one, the one indictment that could be levied against the man is that he had the power and the influence to change culture and didn't do it. Didn't do it. Left the high places. Did that king ever worship in the high places? No. But he didn't tear them down either. So what are the high places in our culture? Because here's the thing, friends. A lot of times the deeds of the flesh are socially acceptable. Fear. Shame. Anxiety. Envy. Jealousy. Depression. My friend Chris said to me on Wednesday, he was uh, speaking. We have a Wednesday, um, like a Bible study, prayer time at work. And he just made this statement, and it was what I loved it because it just came out of him. He wasn't trying to be profound. He just was. He said, there are only conquerors in the kingdom. Now, that's either true or it's a lie. And you get to decide which one. Because the reality is, is that if we're more than conquerors through Christ, then there's only conquerors in the kingdom. Because the only people are in the kingdom are in Christ. So there's only conquerors here. And if there's only conquerors in the kingdom, then there's no victims. So why? Why do we live? I'm sorry, again, I'm speaking to myself. Why do I live as a victim? A victim of circumstance. A victim of the enemy. A victim of people around me. A victim of things that I can't control. A victim of whatever it is. And I sit in my mud puddle and I sing, nobody likes me, everybody hates me. Guess I'll go eat worms. How ridiculous, how ridiculous. Now, listen to this one. This one, this one blew my mind. A friend sent this to me and I need to read it to you. It says, don't get punked by your past. And your past could be 30 seconds ago, by the way. Oftentimes for me, repentance is a moment by moment activity. Don't get punked by your past. It will lie to you, distract you, try to get your attention and then laugh at you for looking. Shame has one goal and one goal alone. To keep you cemented in a dark past while it hides a beautiful future from you. I didn't write that. I wish I did. It's really good. Who did write that? I'm not sure. Uh, back by popular demand. I'll read this again. 
Don't get punked by your past. It will lie to you, distract you, try to get your attention, and then laugh at you for looking. Shame has one goal and one goal alone, to keep you cemented in a dark past while it holds, while it hides a beautiful future from you. There's a story uh, from the Old Testament I've been, I've been really stuck on the last couple of weeks. And I want to read this to you. Um, this is out of Second Chronicles. Zedekiah was 21 years old when he became king, and he reigned for 11 years in Jerusalem. He did evil in the sight of the Lord his God. He did not humble himself before Jeremiah the prophet who spoke for the Lord. He also rebelled against King Nebuchadnezzar who had made him swear allegiance by God, but he stiffened his neck and hardened his heart against turning to the Lord God of Israel. Furthermore, all of the officials of the priests and the people were very unfaithful, following all the abominations of the nations, and they defiled the house of the Lord which he had sanctified in Jerusalem. Yet the Lord, the God of their fathers, sent word to them again and again by his messengers because he had compassion on his people and on his dwelling place. But they continually mocked the messengers of God, despised his words and scoffed at his prophets until the wrath of the Lord rose up against his people until they were, there was no remedy. So he brought up against them the king of the Chaldeans who killed their young men with the sword in the house of their sanctuary and had no compassion on young men or virgin, old man or frail. He handed them all over to him. He brought all the articles of the house of God, great and small, and the treasures of the house of the Lord and the treasures of the king and his officers to Babylon. Then they burned the house of God and broke down the wall of Jerusalem and burned all of its fortified buildings with fire destroyed all its very valuable articles. He took into exile those who had escaped from the sword to Babylon, and they were servants to him and to his sons until the rule of the kingdom of Persia. To fulfill the word of the Lord by the mouth of Isaiah, until the land had enjoyed its Sabbaths, all the days of its desolation, it kept the Sabbath until 70 years were complete. This is what I've been stuck on. The people of Israel were exiled to Babylon for a lot of reasons. There was a lot of crazy and terrible things that they did. Sacrificing children, and adultery, and all sorts of wickedness, and worshiping Baal, and all sorts of stuff. But the thing that struck me here is the 70 years. Does anyone know why? And if you don't, that's okay, I'll give you the answer. Does anyone here know why Israel was banished for 70 years? They'd been in the promised land for roughly 800 at the time. And for 490 years, 490 years, they refused to give the land its Sabbath rest. 
in the law, Leviticus, the Lord commanded the nation of Israel that they would sow and reap six years out of seven. And on the seventh year, they would rest the land. And for 490 years, they refused. And so if you divide 490 by seven, you get 70. So the Lord exiled them for a lot of reasons, not specifically for that, but the duration is what struck me. Because I got to thinking, why would you not rest the land every seven? And it came back to one word for me, trust. Can you imagine as an agrarian society, people that plant, sow, reap, harvest, the idea of not planting or reaping anything for a whole year? This takes provision. This takes God. This takes manna in the desert kind of stuff. And these are people that had seen it, right? Here's a free tidbit. If you've seen the miraculous provision of God in your life, you have now lost the right to approach any situation on the basis of what you have or don't have. Okay, let me say that again. If you have seen the miraculous provision of God in your life, you have now lost the right to approach any situation on the basis of what you have or don't have. Because God has already shown himself to you to be faithful. He's already shown himself to you to be miraculous. He's already shown himself to you that he will deliver. And if he says he will deliver, then why would I approach any conversation on the basis of what I have or don't have when he says, I will give you more than enough? And it comes back to that word in my life, a wasteland of my own making, comes back to one word and one word only, and it's trust. Now, Does anyone know the scripture, Jeremiah 29, 11? For I know the plans I have for you, says the Lord, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, to give you hope in the future. Now, does anyone know the context in which Jeremiah delivered that to the people of Israel? Well, let me read it to you. This is Jeremiah's letter to the exiles. Remember the exiles we are just talking about? 70 years, Babylon, people slain in the streets. This is not a happy time in the history of God's people. It says this, says, now these are the words of the letter which Jeremiah the prophet sent from Jerusalem to the rest of the elders of the exile, the priests, the prophets, and all the people whom Nebuchadnezzar had taken into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. The letter was sent by the hand of Elisha, the son of Shaphan. I'm making, I'm making this up. 
And Gamariah, the son of Hilkiah, whom Zedekiah, whoo, king of Judea, Judah, sent to Babylon to Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, saying, <laughs> he thought I was going to biff that one, but I didn't. Build houses and live in them and plant gardens and eat their produce. Take wives and become the fathers of sons and daughters and take wives for your sons and give your daughters to husbands that they may bear sons and daughters and multiply there and do not decrease. Seek the welfare of the city where I have sent you into exile and pray to the Lord on its behalf. Wait, how about that one? Let's just stop there for a quick fuzz. Now, now, listen, (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> okay, so here I am. I'm sent in exile, right, because of all this terrible stuff into a city, and the Lord tells me to pray. The Lord tells me to pray for its prosperity. You're called to be a culture maker, friend. All right, that was free. Seek the welfare of the city where you've where I sent you into exile and pray to the Lord on its behalf for in its welfare, you will have welfare. For thus says the Lord God of hosts, the God of Israel, do not let your prophets who are in your midst and your diviners deceive you and do not listen to the dreams what they dream for they prophesy falsely to you in my name. I have not sent them, declares the Lord. For thus says the Lord, when 70 years have been completed for Babylon, I will visit you and fulfill my good word and bring you back to this place. Now here's Jeremiah, prophet of the Lord, delivering this to the exiles. He's saying, look, friends, there's all kinds of people around you that claim to be prophets and they're saying, hey, this will be over in a second. Just hold tight. This will all be over in a quick minute. Don't worry about it. We're, I had a dream and we were back in the, the land of, you know, promise. And Jeremiah, the Lord be a Jeremiah, is saying, don't listen to these guys. They are falsely prophesying in my name. Here's the, real do- here's the real deal. It's going to be 70 years. And it's 70 because it's 490 divided by seven. I, I'm just getting to the good part. For thus says the Lord, when 70 years have been completed for Babylon, I will visit you and fulfill my good word to you to bring you back to this place. For I know the plans that I have for you, declares the Lord. See, the Bible is so much better when you read these great verses in context. You know, I mean, what about the one, though there be no fruit on the vine, you know, great is thy faithfulness and lamentations. You know, lamentations is a book of weeping. And yet we sing this song like, yeah, God's faithfulness is so great. These people were, there was dead people strewn about the streets. This was a dark time. I whine about a little bit of discomfort. And he says, for I know the plans I have for you. Plans for welfare and not for calamity to give you a future and a hope. Then you will call upon me and come and pray to me and I will listen to you. You will seek me and find me when you search for me with all your heart. I will be found by you, declares the Lord, and I will restore your fortunes and will gather you from all the nations and from all the places where I have driven you, declares the Lord, and 
I will bring you back to the place from where I sent you into exile. Now, earlier when I read from 2 Chronicles, it talked about the Lord's compassion, that he, that he sent you know, messenger after messenger. They wouldn't listen. They wouldn't listen. And essentially, it says, God, they wore him out. And so he sent him into exile. But how many of you know that you cannot truly wear out the mercy of God? Do you know that you cannot truly wear out the mercy of God? Because this is a great, great prime example. Because he says, even though, even though I have plans for you, I called you by name. I made you a people where there was no people. I called you out. And he says that to me. And he says that to us. I called you out of darkness into the kingdom of my marvelous son. I pulled you out, I delivered you, I rescued you, I saved you, I brought you in. And why would you even think for a moment after everywhere you've been and everything you've done, if I saved you from that, that you could now wear out my mercy? Wow. The audacity of a finite man like me dreaming that I could wear out the mercy of God. In Exodus, I won't read this for the sake of time, but in Exodus, Moses is bringing the people through the wilderness. And if you know the story, you know they had a tendency to complain a bit. And they're an awful lot like me. Or I'm an awful lot like them. So they had a tendency to complain, and at one point they got thirsty because they're in the desert. It's hot out there. So they got thirsty and they said to Moses, dude, what'd you bring us out here for? To kill us and our livestock and our kids? We don't have any water, man. Moses says, good point. Let me go find out what we're going to do about that. So he goes to the Lord. Lord, what do I do? The Lord says, take that staff, the one that you held up over the, the river and it parted, and go and hit that rock. Go hit that rock with your staff and water is going to come out of it and the people will drink. Moses goes, okay, well, I've seen some pretty wild stuff lately. That sounds like it's worth a try. So he gets the staff and he goes out and he does it and he, sure enough, water comes from the rock and the people drink and they stop complaining for 30 seconds. Now, <clears throat> somewhat later on in the book of Numbers, in chapter 20, a similar situation occurs. I'll read this. People are thirsty. Moses goes to the Lord. The Lord says, take the staff and you and your brother Aaron assemble the congregation and speak to the rock. Speak to the rock. Speak 
to the rock before their eyes, that it shall yield its water. So you shall bring water for them out of the rock and have the congregation and their livestock drink. So Moses took the staff from before the Lord, just as he had commanded him. So far, so good. And Moses and Aaron summoned the assembly in front of the rock and said to them, listen, you rebels. (laughs) I love it. Listen, you rebels. (laughs) Shall we bring water for you out of this rock? Then Moses raised his hand and struck the rock. Struck the rock twice with his staff. And lo and behold, water came out abundantly. And the congregation and their livestock drank. Did you know that sometimes when you do God's things your own way, it'll still work? But it's still called disobedience. That's what, that was for me. <laughs> but you can have it too. When you do God's things your own way, it sometimes will work. I mean, this is what happened, right? The first time, Exodus, Moses strikes the rock because that's what God said to do. Water comes out, it's all good. God says, this time, speak to it. I don't know, maybe Moses misunderstood. Doesn't seem like it because the Lord rebukes him something fierce in just a second. Seems like he understood crystal clear. And instead of speaking to the rock like he was told, he struck that rock twice. And it worked. But the Lord said to Moses and Aaron, since you did not trust me. Gosh. Since you did not trust me to treat me as holy in the sight of the sons of Israel, for that reason, you shall not bring this assembly into the land which I have given them. Now, Here's one that struck me a few years ago. And I don't know, maybe this is just me. Maybe I'm just a hopeful romantic and I just believe in redemption in all things. And I believe that the Lord's mercy never runs out. And that even though he told Moses he couldn't lead those people into the promised land, that somewhere along the line he was gonna get to step foot in there because it was his dream. And I don't know if any of you remember the story in the Gospels, the Mount of Transfiguration. But lo and behold, who should be on the mountaintop in the promised land with Jesus? But Moses and Elisha. Elijah, excuse me. You can't wear out the mercy of God. So you may be living in a wasteland of your own making. Maybe you're not. Praise the Lord. You may be living in a wasteland of your own making, but it is not over, friend. There is hope. There is hope. And it only takes one thing. Now listen. The point of all of this is where are we? Where are we? In the wasteland? Living? In the wasteland, there's oasis. Oases, oasises, oasai. 
it's not like there's no provision in the wasteland. It's just hard to come by. So are we in the wasteland, living from oasis to oasis, full of shame and fear, anxiety and bitterness, not trusting in God, but relying on ourselves? Remember, I am my own biggest problem. If it is true that Jesus has secured ultimate victory on our behalf over sin, sickness, death, bondage, the enemy, and more, then what do I have to worry about? What can hold me down? What can hold me back? Just me. If there are only conquerors in the kingdom, then why are so many of us acting like victims so much of the time? It's time to repent. It's time to repent. It's time to say yes to God. So walk after the spirit and cease gratifying the desires of our flesh. Because my flesh wants to sit in a mud puddle and sulk. My flesh wants to just whine and cry. Because it's the easier thing to do. Listen, trusting God can be hard. And if anyone is standing in the pulpit anywhere and telling you that it's not ever hard to trust God, you should go to a different church. But just because it's hard doesn't mean it's not good. And it doesn't mean it's not the right thing to do. And it doesn't mean it's not the path to experiencing God's fullness. Trusting God, yeah, I know, it may be tough, but it's simple. I make it complicated. I I make it complicated. Woo! It's like I'm reading those Hebrew names again. Wow. I make it complicated because that gives me the opportunity to make an excuse. I don't have to trust God because I don't know how. I don't understand how. God, just teach me how to trust you. He says, no, no, no. Just trust me. No, no, no. Teach me how to do it. No, no, no. Just do it. No, no, no. Teach me how to do it. No, no, no. Just do it. It's not complicated. Listen, it's time to repent. It's time to say yes to God. It's time to stop making excuses for what is clearly sin. Okay, maybe it's not murder. Maybe it's not adultery, but refusing to trust God and align ourselves with his truth in our lives is nothing less than sin. And yet for many of us, these ways are so entrenched in our lives and so ingrained in our thinking that it seems like it will take a miracle to walk out of them. Well, even if it does, good news, good news. Our great God and Savior is in the business of performing miraculous transformation in the minds of men and women just like us. We only need to trust. We only need to trust. Romans 12. We'll end with this. I'll give it back over to Shauna. 
and the band can come. Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living and holy sacrifice, acceptable to God, which is your spiritual service of worship. And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind so that you may prove what the will of God is, that which is good, acceptable, and perfect. Amen.